Please turn with me to your study outline. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online um, as we finish up our series here today on vision. You can see that behind me here. And uh, this has been a seven-part series. In part one, we talked about our purpose statement, everyone everywhere following Jesus. Then in part two, we talked about our mission statement, helping people find their purpose to connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God. And then um, uh, we've been doing our five core values, found people, find people, we're better together, growing people change, everyone's designed to serve, and now generous people transform the world. The local church is the best place to invest financially because every dollar you give goes further, faster. And now next Sunday, I'm going to start a new series. And I really believe this next series I'm starting next Sunday is going to be one of the most important, if not the important, most important that I've ever done here in my 23 years as pastor. And the first thing I'm going to do in this series is apologize to you as my church family for not preaching on this subject more often because it's something that we just haven't talked about very much and many churches don't talk about very much. And so I'm going to start that series next Sunday and I'll be doing the entire series and I really encourage you uh, to be there because I uh, really believe that spiritually it is going to be, it's going to be life-changing. But today we're talking about generous people transform the world. Uh, Last week, Pastor Eric Holmstrom, Pastor Eric and I were in Ecuador with a pastor's trip, uh, 20 pastors with Compassion International, and they took us uh, to Ecuador to see uh, the work there because our church has been so supportive, both individually of sponsoring Compassion Children, as well as um, uh, giving and major projects uh, for Compassion in different places around the world, particularly uh, Thailand, and so they wanted us to come and see the work, and and the leader of the trip was Chris Brown. We'll put his picture up there. Uh, remember Chris Brown, who was our uh, high school pastor? So there's our former high school pastor in the lower left, right next to our current high school pastor, Eric Holmstrom, and the reason I put that up there uh, is that uh, in March 19th, three weeks from today, Chris Brown is going to be speaking here at all three morning services. And this is a tremendous opportunity to invite a friend. If you're new to Purpose Church, Chris is without exaggeration, arguably one of the top speakers, uh, preachers in the world today. And he was our high school pastor uh, for many years and a part of our church family. And God has used him just in an amazing way. And so think of it this way. The third, the two third Sundays. Every Sunday is a great Sunday to invite a friend to come. But particularly the third Sunday in March and the third Sunday in April. Third Sunday in March, March 19th, Chris will be here to preach at all three morning services. Third Sunday of April is Easter Sunday, Easter at Fairplex. And so think of those two third Sundays, March and April, as being ideal times uh, to invite someone. Now, last Friday, uh, Eric and I were at the equator. And uh, there we're doing the typical picture you do at the equator where I'm in the southern hemisphere and he's in the northern hemisphere. And did you know that water goes clockwise one side of the equator and counterclockwise the other side when it goes down your bathtub drain? Aren't you glad you came to church today? You'll learn all kinds of interesting things like that. And there was a guy there at the equator who is a member of this society who believes that our globe should look like this rather than like this. And he had a bunch of reasons, and I don't remember that many of them, because after all, uh, we weren't buying it because we're Americans, and we haven't even bought into the metric system yet. And so, you know, nobody's messing with our globe and turning it outside. But he had all these reasons why he believed the globe should be like this uh, rather than like this. But really, that's what God says to us in his word with regard to our financial resources. The world 
uh, the normal culture, the normal world society in which we live, says the most fun thing you can do with money is to spend it on yourself, uh, on comforts, on, on, on um, uh, entertainment, on, on experiences, on possessions. Uh, the most fun with money is to spend it on yourself. And God's Word turns our world either on its side or maybe it turns it completely upside down. It says the most fun thing you can do with money is to use it to transform the world for Jesus Christ. Generous people transform the world. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. And I intentionally pick some that maybe you've never heard of these people before. Or if you've read about them, you've never thought about it in this way uh, or paid attention to it, that would be my situation. Let me give you just uh, three examples of how uh, God used some people uh, to transform the world through their giving. The first three are Shobi, Makir, and Barzillai. Now, by the way, we just had child dedication, so any of you parents looking for cool new names for your children, there they are, Shobi, Makir, and Barzillai. Now, we find them at the lowest point in David's life. He's, his son Absalom is leading a military coup against his father. Can you imagine how distressing it would be to have your son lead a military coup against you. And David's on the run, and he's got these few scattered men, soldiers, a handful of people, and they're starving to death, and they're exhausted. And so the kingdom of King David, 1000 BC, is hanging by a thread. And then lo and behold, at the moment of need, here these three guys show up. When David came to Mehenaim, Shobi, son of Nahash from Rabah, the Ammonites, and Makir, son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rojalim, verse 28, brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curd, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. And so David is hanging on by thread, and these three generous men show up, and they save the day, and David's kingdom is saved, and he continues on as king of Israel. His line continues for a thousand years until in his lineage comes none other but Jesus Christ himself. So can you imagine meeting these three guys in heaven? Hey, what did you do with your money? Well, one set of three guys says, well, I got a new stereo system for my car. And then you run into Shobi, Makir, and Barzillai. What would you do with yours? Well, I saved the line of David through which Christ came into the world. That's a pretty fun usage of money. Would you agree with me on that? It's pretty good use of money. Okay, let's give you another example. I love this one even better. Luke chapter 8. We're going to meet three women. We met three guys. Now we're going to meet three women. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, that is the disciples, were with him, verse 2. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Now the first one we know about, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. But then Joanna, we don't talk about her much, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others that are nameless, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, you run into a group of three women. What'd you do with your money? Ah, we redid our kitchen. Cool, cool. You run into Susanna, Joanna, Mary, and many others. 
What'd you do? What'd you do with your, your money? Well, we supported this short-term missionary. He was only here for three years. He was 33 years old, but he only had a three-year ministry. He was a short-term missionary from heaven to earth, and we just supported a short-term missionary for three years. Oh, really? What was his name? Jesus. Boom, you know. You just walk away. Uh, what a fun usage of money. Oh, my goodness. How awesome is that? These women, some of them, we don't even know their names, but they gave financially so Jesus could have his three-year ministry. That's a pretty fun usage of money. Would you agree with me on that? Let me give you one more. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. These are the Greek churches, and they were poor. They were the poor part of the Roman Empire at this time, uh, was the Macedonians. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So you meet these uh, people from the church in Macedonia and you, and you run into one uh, a group, and you say, you know, what did you use um, your money on? Well, we saved it for a dream vacation. Okay, that's cool. And then you meet these Christians from uh, the Macedonian church. What'd you do? Well, we had this money saved for a dream vacation. Thought we'd go down to Corinth for a while. That was the Las Vegas of its time. It was Corinth. And we had it saved up, and then they got up in church and said, there's some missionary guy named Paul, and he needs some help and so we said, ah, let's just take that money and let's give it to him. And lo and behold, he launched the greatest movement in all of world history. Pretty cool use of money, isn't it? That, that's, that's a good, good usage of, of money. And so when we get to heaven, there's going to be forgotten usages of our money. And there's going to be cool uh, usages, uh, like we saw in these three examples. Henry Blackaby writes, if Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals and their aspirations, and begin responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world would be turned upside down. How do we know? Because that's what first century Christians did, and the world is still talking about it. Generous people, generous people transform, um, transform the world. Uh, here's a high schooler from our high school ministry I want to introduce you to you named Soleil Tori. And she's a high schooler, and her job as a student leader in the high school ministry is to challenge fellow high schoolers to learn to tithe right from the beginning when they get their first money, their first gifts, their first paycheck from McDonald's, or their first money from babysitting. Because they realize that if you learn it early in high school, like Kimberly and I did, it's just an easy thing the rest of your life. Toughest thing in the world is to talk tithing to a 40-year-old who's just come to Christ or a 50-year-old who's just come to Christ. The time to learn that habit is when you're in like high school. And so Soleil is a fellow high schooler. Uh, Pastor Eric has given her the assignment to challenge her fellow high schoolers to learn this spiritual discipline early in life rather than later in life. Let's watch this together. Generosity and tithing has always been a huge part and a value of our family ever since I've been hearing about it since I was really little. Everything that we have is, is God's in that he wants to 
us to give back with joyful hearts and he said at least 10% because it, he, you never know how he's going to use that money. I think it's just so important from a young age to start understanding the importance of tithing and even if you don't have much because I don't, I don't have a job, I get Christmas money and occasionally the babysitting money and I just think it's so important just to be able to give back. Our vision statement here at um, Purpose Church is everyone everywhere following Jesus and, and tithing does so much for that. It helps us keep the lights on so that people can come in and, and experience Jesus and grow closer to him and, and grow our student ministries and and create powerful worship experiences. It goes out to Pomona to stop human trafficking and with our ministry to do that. It goes out to into the United States with flooding in Louisiana, tornadoes, like earthquakes, whatever has happened that's tragic in the United States. It goes out internationally to our missionaries and out to just the farthest corners of the earth. Our tithing is just used incredibly. Um, and God can do whatever he wants with it. Generous people transform the world. How many wish, my goodness, is that? I wish I was that smart in high school, I'm telling you, I wish. Now last year, many of you, because we had a Compassion Sunday, uh, began to sponsor children through Compassion International. And, and through our church, uh, over the last two years in our first fruits offering, you've given over a quarter of a million dollars, and about a third of that, $77,000, was given to start three child survival programs in Thailand. And so last week, Pastor Eric and I got to visit a child survival program in Ecuador that would be similar to the ones, the three that we started in, um, in Thailand. And I ran into a little boy uh, last week, and here he is, and he's there with uh, one of the workers from Compassion. And this little boy comes up to me in Spanish, and he says, you're from the United States. I said, yes. He goes, do you know William? All he gave me was a first name. And I'm thinking to myself, there are 300 million of us, okay. Uh, how many Williams are there in the United States? But that was his sponsor. And so he says, you're from the United States. Do you know William? Because William is the only thing standing behind, between this little boy's success and possible starvation for him and for his family. And so I thought to myself, there's some guy named William somewhere in the United States that makes all the difference in the world to this little boy. And those of you that do child sponsorship, put your name in there. There's somebody named, put your name in. And like this little boy, you're the only thing that stands between that little boy's success and possible starvation. Why? Because generous people transform the world. Uh, Eric and I got to go into the home of a mom and a dad with four children. And their entire house is what you see in this picture. Six people live there. And the, the mom told us that her husband is a brick mason, but he's usually out of work. He very rarely has work. And so when they, he has no work, what they do is they go through the garbage there in Ecuador, and they find onions that people have thrown out. They clean them up, they bag them up, and they sell them for $5 for a bag of onions. And that is the only way they could survive until two of their children were sponsored by people in the United States through compassion. And so the only thing standing between this young mother and father and their four children and possible starvation, the only thing that can give them a shot at success is somebody like you because generous people transform the world. Now, Eric and I recorded this outside of their home. 
Glenn, and I'm here with Pastor Eric in Ecuador on a compassion uh, trip to look at the work of compassion. Remember, uh, a year ago, we did a first fruits offering in which we gave $150,000 to Thailand, and half of that went to child rescue programs, child survival programs, such as the one that we've been seeing here in Ecuador. They were in Thailand. We've been seeing the ones in Ecuador. Now, for those of you that sponsor children uh, in any organization, but particularly compassion, here's one of the homes that we just visited where six uh, people live in this home, a father and a mother, uh, four children, two are sponsored, two are not yet sponsored, and they're in this home, and it's just unbelievable to see what happens when the local church, through the local church, you're giving, either through sponsorship or through these centers that we develop in Thailand and in different places all around the world, what a difference the local church makes in a community. God bless you, and I'm so grateful for your generosity. We believe that generous people transform the world. Now, if you notice the police officer in the background, uh, this particular day was one of the most dangerous places in Ecuador, so we needed a police escort wherever we went. And right after this, we're walking back to the church uh, where the community center is uh, for the child survival program, and we walk by the drug lord, the local drug lord's house, and some guy in the front yard starts yelling at us. So I was so glad to have police escort, but then you walk a little bit further, and you come up on the church, and in the distance, you can hear the sound of children singing praise songs to Jesus. And I just thought, you know what the local church is? It is a lighthouse of hope. Uh, when you plant, like our church did, three of these in three different communities in Thailand, it is a lighthouse of hope that pushes back uh, the darkness. One of these programs uh, here in Ecuador uh, came into a community, and the drug lord, uh, the local drug lord in that town, threatened the woman who ran the Compassion Project, and she says something along these lines, I don't run the Compassion Project, Jesus does, and he's coming after you. And this... This drug lord got saved, became a follower of Christ, and became the pastor of that church. And he's pastor in the church there today. Now, um, this is what the local church is meant to do. Can I make a confession to you of what I call reverse snobism? And we specialize in that here at Purpose Church. We use it regularly. Snobism is things that typically the world would look at as an advantage, and so you're snobby if you have it and somebody else doesn't. So, for example, snobism is like um, a person has more money than somebody else, or a nicer house than somebody else, or a nicer car than somebody else. But at our church, at Purpose Church, we use reverse snobism. You know what reverse snobism is? Uh, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, we were on this trip with 20 pastors, and it, they're all churches, either mega churches like ours or large churches, you know, very large churches. And because I, we know what Compassion's doing, they're going to take these pastors on this free trip to see the work, and then we're going to come back all fired up to raise money for Compassion and have people do child sponsorship like our church has already done in Thailand and in different places all around the world. And, and so one, the, the pastors, all these pastors of these large churches, every one of them were from safe, secure, um, suburban, growing communities, okay? Because 99% of churches our size in the United States are from safe, secure, suburban, growing locales, 99%. Our church sticks out like a sore thumb. They're like hardly any others like us in an urban setting at the corner of Holton Gary. It's very, very rare. And so one of these pastors, in the closing time, we were kind of sharing our feelings. One of the pastors was sharing, man, you know, my church, where I am, I just look at these churches in Ecuador, how they're like lighthouses pushing back the darkness. 
And man, I just don't know if we're, if we're doing that. And Pastor Eric and I kind of catch eyes with each other. Have you ever been in a sermon that doesn't apply to you, how great it feels, you know what I mean? You're sitting there and like, and I'm not talking the ones that you think don't apply to you, okay? That happens all the time, okay? We, we always have sermons, you know, we sit there, man, I'm glad he's preaching on that because so-and-so over there needs to hear it. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about one that actually we looked at each other and we're like, that's exactly what we're doing at Purpose Church in Pomona. That's exactly who we are and that's exactly who you are. Many of you live in Pomona and also worship a church in Pomona. But many of you uh, live elsewhere, and you drive by some perfectly safe and nice churches where you won't get hit up for money as you walk into church, where you won't need, don't, need, don't need a parking lot patrol to protect your car while you're in church. You drive by these perfectly. Why is that? Because God has called you here to invest your energy, your time, your service, your finances in a challenging place to see God do a great thing. And so we revel in reverse snobism around here. I use it as a recruiting device for pastors. Whenever I recruit a pastor from Orange County, I'll say, oh, yeah, I did this to Pastor Greg. He was like an Orange County boy, you know. His dad was the mayor of Fountain Valley, and he was an Orange County boy. And I said to Pastor Greg, I said, you know what? You can go pastor in an Orange County church if you want to. I guess that's nice. But I'm calling you to come to Pomona, the heart of Pomona, and build something great for God. And then I do my Beaches of Normandy speech that I always use, which is they didn't make the movies about the places of the beaches of Normandy where there was no opposition. They made the movies, they wrote the books where the opposition was the fiercest. Come to Pomona and do something great with me. And they're like ruined for Orange County the rest of their lives. They can't pastor there anymore, you know. And, and we use that with reverse snobism. I'm praise God for those of you that drive from other places and invest here because the greatest thing in life is to be used by God to see him do a miraculous thing in a challenging place. Anybody want to say amen to that? And that's why we are here. And that's why God has called you here. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, there's this big press conference uh, regarding a recent California statewide anti-human trafficking operation. And it was like a who's who of California law enforcement. A Los Angeles district attorney was there. The FBI was there. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Department was there. Homeland Security was there. LAPD was there. And let me just show you 60 seconds of that news conference. On Saturday, our emergency response team worked with a young woman who was trafficked from the Central Valley to Pomona. She was afraid and not sure where to go for help. And if you recall, Saturday was very cold that night, and she was provided an emergency bag made for us by another close partner, Purpose Church in Pomona. Filled with warm clothing and toiletries, she was relieved to be able to change into a, just a warm pair of clothes. To many, it may have seemed like just a new pair of sweatpants, but for her, it was a cloak of reclaimed dignity. When she was immediately provided legal and social services, the only thing that she could say was how grateful she was to be able to talk to someone who wanted her to get home. Again, we earned her trust as a task force. It takes a broad coalition like the task force to provide this. Working together is truly the only way to comprehensively and effectively address this crime by bringing our respective resources and skills together as a task force this generation of victims will be our last. Thank you. 
Tak ho. But it is spiritual warfare. There's a wonderful part to it. But it is spiritual warfare. Would you please pray for the family of Jonah Wang? Uh, there's a little boy that was shot and killed this past Monday. Um, his family had intentionally moved to Pomona to be influencers in the community. And they are very, very close to pastor friends, close friends to Pastor Tomiko and Chris Chacon. Their little boy, Christian, played uh, with, with Jonah very, very close. As a matter of fact, Pastor Tomiko and Chris were supposed to be at the dinner where this happened. But they had a family event because it was President's Day instead. And this has been so hard on them, and we need to pray for the family. The memorial service for Jonah is going to be right here at Purpose Church this coming Saturday at 1 in the afternoon. And so I ask you to pray for them because we are involved in spiritual warfare. And this has been a tough, tough week. Now, the generous life just doesn't happen by accident. It's a lifelong habit, which is why the Bible gives us uh, the principle of the, the tithe. Now, uh, the Lord has given us this uh, command in the Old Testament, a, a guideline or a principle in the New Testament of the 10% tithe. And many should give beyond the tithe. I mean, Kimberly and I, God has blessed us uh, so much within our lives that, that we, don't, we feel we need to go beyond the 10% uh, to giving back to God because he's blessed us in, in such a wonderful way. Now, for many of you, you're just sitting there going, oh my goodness, 10%, what are you talking about? And so what I would encourage you to do is like start somewhere like 5% and test God. This is the only area where God says that we can test him to see if he's uh, gonna come uh, through. I, I say 5% because the average American gives between 2 and 3% to charity. And so certainly as followers of Christ and what he has done for us, we should give beyond what the average American does. But start this year with 5% giving to, to God. And, and then if you don't go broke, test him. If you don't go broke, next year increase it by 1%. And if you don't go broke, increase it by 1%. If you don't go broke next year, increase it by 1% until you're at a tithe. And, and like Kimberly and I, maybe you'll see that you want to go beyond that because God blesses in such a wonderful way. Now, there's a, a, little, a little bit of a, a lie that Satan whispers in our ear. He tells us, um, when I make more money, when you make more money, then you can be more generous. And greed is a very, very tricky thing. Actually, the more we earn, the less generous we are. Did you know that the average American who makes under 100000 a year gives 3% to charity? The average American who makes between one and 200000 a year gives 2% to charity. Giving actually goes down the more we earn. You know, the most misquoted verse in the Bible is money is the root of all evil. Bible never says that. Money is not the root of all evil. All kinds of good things like we've just seen can be done with money. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And the more of it you have, the more tempting it is to fall in love with it. And that's why God gave us the tithe. That's why he gave us that uh, as, as a guideline. One of the most fascinating people in American history is a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller. He founded Standard Oil, what is today Exxon. And adjusted for inflation, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the history of the world. His net worth was 10 times that of Bill Gates. It would take 10 Bill Gates to be equal to the net worth of John D. Rockefeller. Rockefeller was an on-fire follower of Jesus. He was a Baptist who believed in tithing. And here's what he said. 
I would never, I would, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar fifty cents per week. And uh, he went beyond the tithe. Eventually, gave away almost all of his money. I love this story. He told his accountant, "I want the last check before I die to bounce." How would you like to be in charge of unloading 10 times the net worth of uh, Bill Gates? Uh, he wanted to, you know how athletes say they want to leave it all on the playing field? He didn't want to take anything with him to heaven because he knew it wouldn't be any good there. Nobody has a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. And so he said, I want the last check to, uh, before I die to bounce. And, you know, by the way, there's a little bit of a side note. But some of the most influential giving we can do is after we die in our wills. And Ron Blomberg is here today. Uh, you read about that on the other side of your study outline. He's got appointments for Tuesday. He's out in the lobby here after the service. And Ron has helped Kimberly and I uh, so much. He has shown us little things that we leave exactly the same amount to our kids, and yet we're able to give so much more to Purpose Church and to God's work at Purpose Church um, because of just little things he showed us tax-wise that can multiply that. And sometimes our greatest impact can be even after we go to heaven. There have been so many people here in the past of our church that have been such a blessing to God's work because they, they remembered to do that uh, as they went uh, to heaven, just like John D. Rockefeller. So here's the principle in Malachi chapter 3. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only place in the Bible where God says to test him, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough um, to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then verse 12, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now let's go back to verse 10. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Um, there's a, a problem today across America, not just in our church, but a, across the United States, in that people more and more um, are excited to give to specific causes, and, it, and it's kind of a, 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 something kind of more jazzy that catches their attention. And by comparison, it's boring uh, to give to the local church. And yet the local church is the main place where God does his work in the world today, and it is the most effective way because it's close to local accountability and, and involvement. Uh, generous people transform the world. The local church is the best place to invest financially because every dollar you give goes further, faster. And so it has left local churches weakened across America, unable to fulfill, hindered in the mission God has called them to because it kind of we're drifting away from just the boring old keep the lights on at the local church and we're kind of attracted to something a little flashier. And that's why Kimberly and I, even before we got into ministry, we believed in this thing called storehouse giving, where the first 10% of our income goes to the local church, and then we give to particular causes over and above that initial tithe to the storehouse. We bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the local church that we're involved in, and then above and beyond, uh, we give to special projects. Now, I, we know it's tempting I've had a college friend of mine, uh, a missionary in Pakistan, 
And I've supported him for the last 30 or 40 years since we were college track guys together at Wheaton College. I've supported him, but it's always been above and beyond that initial tithe uh, to the local church, to the storehouse. Uh, Our kids, our son and daughter-in-law, John and Natalia, just went as missionaries to Peru last year. And we're like, well, we got to support our kids when they're on the mission field. But then we held to that discipline to only do that above and beyond that first 10% uh, to the local church, then beyond that uh, to give to special, uh, to special things. And, and uh, an analogy I would like to use that we used a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the local church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And we talked about how so many people today say they love Jesus, but they criticize heavily the church. And we said, how does that work for us to hang out with Jesus if we're always ripping on his bride? I mean, how does the relationship work if you've got a friend and the whole time you're criticizing his bride who he loves, that's not going to do much for your relationship. And in the same way, if I were to go out of town, hand somebody my checkbook and say, I want you to take care of my bride, Kimberly, while I'm gone. And then I come back from the trip and Kimberly is starving to death. How, how am I going to feel about that? In the same way Jesus goes to heaven and he says, take care of my bride, the church, the local church, and how is he going to feel if he comes back someday and his bride is starving? But in addition to that, again, uh, I just believe that it's the most effective way to give because of local accountability and involvement. The local church is the best place to invest financially because every dollar you give goes further, faster. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. As the praise band comes up uh, for a closing song, I want to give you some practical helps on this. If you take your study outline and turn it over, first of all, on the lower left-hand corner, you're going to see Financial Peace University. And boy, I would just really urge you to consider that. That has been such a blessing uh, to so many people. And then if you'd like to talk to Ron Blomberg, as I was talking about earlier, on the right-hand side, it says financial planning for a new year. He's going to be out in the lobby. You can make an appointment with him on Tuesday, or he's going to be out there in, in, in the lobby, and you can see that there. Or if you'd like to go to our website, uh, we'll put that up there, purposechurch.com slash forward slash finance. Just go to our website and put on there, and we've got all kinds of resources to help you both in managing your finances and, um, and also in how God can help you in this area of giving because generous people transform the world. Uh, before we do our worship song, I got to do just one thing, okay? Okay. 
Um, I, I got to show you just a clip, and it's just a short one, and then we're going to do our closing worship song, okay? But we're good. We're good on time. We're, we're really good. We're good. Okay, because you're leading the next service, so you're all set up for the next service. Okay, so we're good. Okay, this is my new favorite movie, okay? My new favorite movie. Um, it's got six Academy Award nominations tonight for the Oscars, including Best Picture. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, how many have seen it? Okay, awesomeness, I'm telling you, man. Okay, it's the true story of Desmond Doss, who's a conscientious objector in World War II. He was a conscientious objector. And he went into the bloodiest battle of World War II, the Battle of Okinawa, as a medic without carrying a weapon and saved 75 men during that battle. He was the first conscientious objector to ever win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And this is not Hollywood flashiness. He literally said in his testimony, because he was such an on-fire follower of Jesus, and this film is like so Christian. Oh my goodness. It's like he's the most compelling Christian character ever. Now I do want to warn you, there's kind of Saving Private Ryan kind of violence. So if you've got through the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, you're cool on this, okay? But if not, leave it alone, all right? But he is the most compelling Christian character ever. I mean, since Eric Little in Chariots of Fire, and that's saying a lot from me, okay? You know, just, just, man, if every Christian were like that, everybody would want to follow Jesus. And by his own testimony, he, he said the whole time during that battle, he just kept praying, God, give me one more. God, give me one more. God, just give me one more. And, and that I want to be our cry as a church. Found people, find people. God, give me one more. We're all designed to serve. God, give me one more. Generous people transform the world. Every time we give, God, give me one more. God, give me one more. Give me one more. So you guys know you want to watch it, right? Okay, you know you want to watch it. By the way, you can either watch this movie or you can see it in two-minute increments over the next three years. So, you know, you, you can you pick how you want to do that. So, Jared, Jared, let's go ahead and go into the worship after this. Let's watch it and then kick right into worship. <laughs> 